What's going on, everybody? And welcome back to another episode of the Next Big Thing podcast, where today we are joined by Tim Scafaria, the CTO and co-founder of HubToss. Uh, for those of you that don't know, HubToss provides access to a wealth of investment data for crowdfunding companies that is typically difficult to find and break down. If you, We were talking about it earlier, a perfect analogy. Think Bloomberg meets PitchBook for retail investors. So with that being said, Tim, thanks for the time. Excited to hear about HubToss and welcome on the podcast. Well, thanks so much for having me. I'm really a big fan of this podcast, as we talked about earlier. So I've been looking forward to this for a while. Awesome. So why don't you get into it, uh, pull up your demo and uh, show us what HubToss is all about. Fantastic. This is um, right now uh, live demo. And HubToss.com is a Bloomberg Meets Pitch book, as we talked about, for equity crowdfunding investors, for people that have um, other things to do. It's really hard to sift through 10 to 20 of these equity crowdfunding filings a day across 20 different platforms. You have Start Engine, WeFunder, but many more, um, debt offerings, convertible note offerings. So it it's simplifies the process of finding investments. And we have what I believe is to be the most powerful advanced um, startup screener in the industry. Um, this is a non-logged in view, all, all three right there. Um, and then you can sort by 14 free, fact, uh, 14 free categories and then um, 25 more. These will also be free when you just log in and make an account. Um, but what I'm really excited about too is building your custom algorithm. So taking a, a search point and click is cool. Um, and you can be like, okay, I want to filter out these companies. I might find companies that are good for me. But what I think takes us to the next level, HubToss, is... Um, having different weighting systems based on different facts about the company. So we have, I think, 13 here or 12, um, where you can weight them differently or use our presets. Um, y Combinator, we did some research on. Um, I can explain that part later. ChatGPT, ChatGPT, for example. But you can build your own um, and then get automated alerts to your email. So you can be like, I want to get my custom algorithm, which is just already up there right on the, the URL. Um, you can and just, just submit it, and then you get emails every day with that. Um, it's super cheap and affordable. I made it for well, my co-founder. I made it for retail startup investors. So $10 a month, if you want to buy it annually, um, $15 a month per yearly. And I'll give you, um, an example of a, a company page. So let me log in real quick. So here's, um, let's say you're interested in finding more information about a company. Let's say Hawaiian bros, for example, um, I'm logged in. So it's very, just no, probably a normal pitch book like interface. Um, you get overview, financial summary, um, use proceeds, offering page, offering details, and then our quant score. So the quant score is um, 36 or so different factors. We were inspired by quant investing. Um, so instead of saying like, I want to look at companies that have like a, um, or I just want to read out through all the filings, why not just use like a quick heuristic of this might be a good offering for me to look at further. And these are our opinions. I mean, whether companies VC backed or not is a fact. We took the opinion in this example that VC backing would be a positive or a pass. Um, and they're all equal weighted and you can just see them in this, this, this way right there. Um, company, right, you get directors and officers breakdown, company ownership, patents, um, their financials for three years, if they have three years, um, advanced financials, which is like you know secondary calculations. Um, so price of sales or cash per employee, just more, more nitty gritty data. And then comparables, so you can just compare it to other companies in that same industry. And then reviews. Hopefully that uh, review func functionality will take off, but it's there. Um, and that's, that's, that's that right now. Um, you can subscribe to our newsletter. Uh, you can see the highest quant scores currently. And if you don't know where to start, you can always check out some of our investment ideas. So 
a lot of these numbers and filters and just can be a little bit confusing and overwhelming at first. It's built to be very powerful, but if you're just interested in like getting started, um, we have our ideas page and that's found, um, let's see. Oh, actually, I guess I got to put it in the, in the URL again. Um, but you just have some preset ideas. Um, so you want to see like, okay, companies that um, are under $5 per share or companies in the AI space. Um, here's some, let's see, companies that close in their raise within a week. That's pretty cool. And then you can be like, okay, here are 16 companies closed within a week. I want to look at companies that have, um, let's say, uh, that are also VC backed. Search it. And then you can just narrow it down further. Um, any questions there? It's great. I do want to say, Tim, I love Hubdust. I use it every other day. And it's nice that all the information is on one centralized platform. And being able to navigate it, I, I was shocked with how easy it was able to navigate and to learn how to use it, to take the data, to go to other links from that platform. It really saves me a lot of time. But before we get into the details of Hubtas, can you tell us how you got into crowdfunding and kind of the story behind starting Hubtas? Totally. I'd love to. And one, I'm really glad you pointed out the ease of use. I just want to touch on that real quick. Um, we put a lot of time into the front end and the ease of use because I thought it was important. But I think a lot of the value, what we spent the last month on from when we had a soft launch, from when we're actually ready to actually launch um, as soon as tomorrow the next day, is the back end. Um, so there's a lot of automation now. It's very powerful. I think a lot of the value is there that what you don't see. I just wanted to highlight that. Um, absolutely. I mean, the story of how I got into equity crowdfunding, I love this story because I was, in, I was in college and I was major in finance. And at the University of Miami, I thought I had three career paths. This is, this is a true, like, so, so silly. I think. Three career paths. You could go into investment banking, which I eliminated because that just sounded terrible. Um, uh, sales and trading, which I just, I don't know. It, it, was, it was really cool, but like, I didn't ever read any like, industry research reports on the sell side. I was just like, ah, I don't really, I don't know. Conflict of interest and it just wasn't my thing. And private wealth management. So I was like, okay, that sounds kind of cool. That sounds like a chill job. I'll just go into private banking. Um, but then I just like, ah, oh, gosh, I feel like I should be doing something to push myself a little bit more. Nothing against that field. Bankers are awesome. But like, it's just a little bit like, there's a massive amount of time being spent on the most minute details of like this little like line has to be fixed to like help this like $50 million client or whatever. And I was like, ah. But really the best deals were always going to the richest people. So my inspiration to go into equity crowdfunding was just being like, I, I'm a regular, I want to invest in these deals that I'm helping clients invest in. I'm just like, what the heck? This is unfair. Um, and I didn't even know about equity crowdfunding. So the flash forward, um, you know, maybe like a year after my multifamily office job, I see an ad on, uh, on TV about Kevin O'Leary and Start Engine. And I'm just like, wow, that's, that's, that's awesome. I, I, I didn't even know this was possible. And it was on CNBC. So it was, it was reasonably legit, I assumed. And yeah, it's I, gotta it, be legit, right? And it was awesome. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, I made my first investment. Um, it was in Start Engine itself. So I invested in Start Engine um, because I thought it was like the cool. I wrote, I wrote, I'm a little bit of a nerd. I wrote like an eight page thesis on it. Um, the thesis didn't play out exactly, but like, you know, I still love, love the company, love, love everything about it. Right. But um, the, the, and they're just still doing well. But um, the, the, the thesis was, you know, they're owning pieces of these companies and they get 2% of each company they raise on the platform for the most part. And, I didn't want to do all the research on these companies because I didn't have the time. So I was just like, okay, I'll buy Start Engine and then I'll get a piece of all these companies. That was a, a large part of the thesis. And eventually I was just like, I got to work for this company. Like I just, I, I, I want to be a part of the equity crowdfunding industry. I own shares in you guys. How can I be a part of it? And then, you know, started off as a campaign manager there, um, then ran the day-to-day -day operations of the, their transfer agent, their in-house transfer agent. 
and then that was awesome. And then it kind of became a point where there are two things. One, I wanted to push myself and really take on code versus like just be even better at operations by going to code. And I just felt like I had to do it. But two, I mean, the funding portal versus the investor side is a really interesting dynamic. There's more and more funding portals coming up every day. Um, funding portals are, are, are kind of a unique situation, I think. Like at the end of the day, all that really matters to me is deals to invest in. Like that's the greatest thing. Like if WeFunder does great, that's awesome. If StarEngine does great, that's awesome. If another small portal is great, that's awesome too. But more deals is great. And the more competition of the platforms, the cheaper it is for the fees and cheap, easier it is for companies, more you know, understanding of the industry, it's great. Um, and then for me, it was just an obvious, like there's just so much need and, and, and need and also like how cool would it be just keep on building the research infrastructure to support all these platforms. And my co-founder loved the idea too. And we just went with it. So I do want to double click on your college experience because I read something that said you earned more in college than you did your first year in the real world. Oh yeah. So can you tell us about that, uh, (laughs) about that ed tech money printing startup that you had in college? Well, it was a money, uh, money pit when I got out of college, but it was a money printing startup in college. Um, In college, I tutored a lot and a lot of the tutoring was just, um, it was all online. So freshman year of summer, I typed in Google, how do you make money online? And usually those Google searches don't really go as well as you'd hope. But this one went fantastically. And I uh, started off working for a company as an independent contractor called Varsity Tutors. And they're, they're, they're now under the parent company Nerdy. And they uh, paid me $15 an hour. And I was ecstatic. Like, to the, like I was so happy because I, at, that, at that time, you know, you'd be making uh, $10 an hour at McDonald's and I got to work $15 an hour doing, doing math in like pajamas, essentially. Um, and then I realized, wait a minute, they're charging their people, their students, $70 an hour. Um, and I'm getting 15 out of this. This is crazy. So very uh, like compliantly and, and legally, I just eventually I weaned my way away from varsity tutors and then got my own clients. And it was just a business of referrals. And I was charging $50 an hour, but then it was incredible because, well, when I was working at Varsity Tutors, I was working 12-hour days, a lot of it, during the summer, right? So if that's 12 hours at $15, I think that math can't, something like, it was around up to $200 a day, um, around there. And um, when then I started charging 50 and then eventually had some clients that were paying 75 and I could have gone higher, but I didn't feel right doing it. There was too much pressure when you go higher. Um, and then it was awesome. And then I went away from it and I thought it was easy. I really did. I was like, oh, it sounds easy. And you, you, lightning doesn't, is always in the bottle, whatever the expression is. And then my first job out of college was fine paying, but like, I didn't realize how much money I was making. And then I tried to turn it into like a scalable startup. It wasn't really, uh, it didn't scale. It was all about like the referrals, organic brand, people that liked the product, people that liked me. And then it's just harder to like scale that. I learned a lot of lessons from that too. I mean, it's part of why um, Hubtoss, I mean, we are really doing really well, in my opinion, and my co-founder's opinion, bootstrapping it. And our costs are essentially zero. I mean, we have insurance costs. You know, we talk to a lawyer um, once or twice. I mean, we have server costs, which are very minimal. I coded the whole thing myself. Um, so it's it's something where there's no rush to scale. And I always think, who's the bigger winner if you lose like $10 million and, and go bankrupt after VC funding, or if you just uh, have a nice bootstrap business and, you know, I don't really, we don't plan on having an exit. Like that's kind of part of what makes this really great for us. Like we, we want to be able to um, really just like keep building this brand and keep building this, these research tools and see where that leads. 
So, Tim, that's kind of a good segue into my uh, question. So uh, you talked about you went through the demo. You talked about, you know, bootstrapping the company, uh, coding the thing yourself. So I'm interested, what's the hardest thing you encountered when trying to build uh, the platform? And what was the most difficult obstacle for you and, and uh, your co-founder? That's such a good question. I mean, um, I think it was really, well, there's so many, there's a lot of difficult things. I think one difficult thing early on was when I really was struggling to learn code and it was like, gosh, I, maybe I should have gone the no code route with bubble, um, or another mm -hmm. no code provider. And it took a long time to like hit that bridge of like, okay, now I've made the right decision. Um, but there's a lot of like opportunity cost and, and risk there. I, I felt like, um, but what's crazy about it is AI makes it easier to code than no code is. Um, the, the AI doesn't help you do no code as well as AI helps you with code is what I've learned. Um, so I think, the, the, the challenge there, um, and, and two is, I think we're gonna experience this, it's always easy and fun to have a product or an idea, and always the challenge is, will people pay for it, right? And that's 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 what we're gonna run into and see, like, will that happen? Um, and and we're definitely playing the long game on this one, because in, in some ways we built this tool because we think it's really powerful for ourselves. I mean, um, I, I made an investment, fortunately that company um, decided to not go through with their raise, probably because I, I'm assuming they got like honest, like they might've got better terms with the VC or something, I was disappointed with that. But it's, it's it, they're really good research tools um, where I do believe the infrastructure of private investing for regular people is going to really grow. And like, there would be a lot more people I think wanting to do what we're doing, if there was a more of a long-term horizon, like, I think it's very easy to say, yeah, I want to be a venture analyst. And why do you want to be a venture analyst? Because probably because you're making 200K a year or something, right? But at the end of the day, this is venture analyst. Like this is true. These are securities registered with the SEC. And there is a lot of opportunities here because even if let's say hypothetically, let's say you're, you're more pessimistic on the space. And honestly, I am, I'm, I, I'm much more skeptical on the average equity crowdfunding offering than like, you know, there's a lot of stuff that, it might be good ideas, great businesses, great people, but like probably aggressive terms and they probably won't have an exit maybe. I don't know. And and um, what I'm saying there is like, there's just even, let's say hypothetically, there's like just five to 10% of people that's just like, I just want to give regular people good returns. Immediately you have some opportunity there because there's there's, it's, there's no real buy and sell market. It's it's kind of whatever you want it to be within reason, right? Um, so, so I think there's just a lot of opportunity. So... I also want to get to something that we kind of touched on a little bit, which is the private versus public market uh, thing and uh, thing you talked about. And what HubTas is providing is is data points to go off of to to allow people to do that research. So in your experience putting together the platform, uh, what data points are available? What data points are missing? And um, how has that kind of been a difficult thing to juggle? For equity crowdfunding investors or for, I'm um, sorry, for, for, um, for HubTOS itself, like with our platform's data or like just data available to investors itself? Let's just do data in general, just for the, you know, the regular crowdfunding investor. So there's a, a shocking amount of um, data that's available in these filings. Like it's, it's pretty stunning. And I think why we have a really big competitive advantage, um, like I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna say I have 10 years of engineering experience, but I do have enough to know that I believe we're doing it in a unique way by scraping the SEC filings themselves. Um, we're a two-person team, and that's why I was really excited when I said like we put a lot of emphasis on the back end. Like our back end is really good now, um, and and there's 60-page filings, and that back end can get better and better and better because at the end of the day, information there's there's 60 pages of this information, and I mean I read through some of these cover to cover, and I'm just like wow on page 27 that's a big red flag, you know? It's like this, and 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 but the part of it's like. 
standardized way to do this. You know, I don't want to, we don't want to do investment advice. Of course, you know, we don't want to be highlighting things. You know, it's, it's kind of independent research. You do it yourself. So one of the challenges that we're having is how can we take some of those red flags that are like, whoa, um, that's kind of crazy. And then, and then putting that in, in a, in a way that's suggestible, but also the equity crowdfunding filings are really done in two ways. There's the XML. Well, there's three ways I think you can get the data. There is the campaign pages. There's the XML. The XML is a very standardized, you're familiar with that, um, right? Standardized, like, you know, revenue, most recent revenue prior, and it's missing a few fields that if you were walking down a financial statement, you'd like to know, but not a big deal, right? They don't have cash flows, but then they have, the, you know, then you have the SC statement. Um, every portal is slightly different. So when we built that backend, you no, know, our Python code is not talking to each SEC filing the same way. Um, WeFunder has like nine or 10 different pages. Star Engine has one. Um, and Honeycombs is like the easiest thing in the world to, to go through, right? So there's just all these different, um, the, the challenge is like, you know, for the regular investor, if you're, it's not your full-time job, which it is very few people's full-time job, um, how do you go through this information in a, in a reasonable way? Um, and I think there's two ways you can go about it, giving people great data and giving people really easy to use data. So Tim, you have a newsletter called The Retail Capitalist. And in the newsletter, you wrote, don't build for potential investors in mind, build for your customer, which I think is a great piece of advice for startups in general. But with that being said, who is Hubtus built for? Hubtus is built for 90 to 95% of people out there that just can, like 90 to 95% people that are not accredited investors. That's currently what we're built for, right? Now, we have a very, we're building for now and also for a year and two years out here because the data that we're having, I personally don't really believe that data from five years ago in this space is very valuable, to be honest. I, that's not like, you can have that take, you, but, but like, I, I think here in the now with live companies is very valuable. Um, so I think it's built for people that just anybody in, the, in, in America that wants to invest in startups, but it's going to be built for more people in a step further because, or soon. B2C with retail investors at $10 prescription is very challenging and tough. Um, the research market is very large though. So unfortunately, like with investment banking or, or, or banks, you have a research division, the research division loses money, but then they sell, sell the research to clients who can go through their sales and trade division, right? Hubtus is built for regular people today, but in this new version, we have an enterprise tier. Um, the enterprise tier, we don't have prices up because it could be a lot, but we have our own API you can tap into, HubSpot integrations, um, CSVs, and leads from all these data that we have. Um, so it's, it's kind of the secret sauce, I think, from a business standpoint is that enterprise tier, going to financial advisors, going to um, people looking for leads in the space, lawyers or accountants. Um, and then when more people could potentially become accredited investors, then the market opens up bigger because... Hubtoss is about giving people access to private deals. And the, 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 the true, true venture market is so, so covered and saturated, but there's so many businesses out there. Um, I, I think of it this way, actually. I think this is interesting. Like, I'm not saying that, like, well, I, I do believe that, like, Anderson Horowitz has a very unique advantage because they are getting, Y Combinator, for example, they, have, they, they are getting the best of the best. They, they, they are, they but the average accredited investor who has a million dollar net worth, like they're not, um, they're not getting the same deals that Anderson Horowitz is getting. So a lot of these deals are going to go through equity crowdfunding. And I mean, a lot you're reading more in the news about VCs tightening their belts. Um, it's, it's getting harder and harder to get VC funding. These companies are going to equity crowdfunding, investment crowdfunding. So there's just so many people that could use this data. 
it's just how can you get in front of those people? And that's, that's going to be the challenges we're going to work on next. Um, there's always the ability to, to, to put ads on the site, but really I tried to build this wholesomely. My co-founder tried to build this wholesomely. We just want people to use it, enjoy it. Hopefully it's a service that provides so much value that it's like $10 a month, $15 a month. I have to do that if I'm actually serious about these markets. Um, and then see how that goes, but target the businesses as the core of bread and butter. So with that being said, where do you see the crowdfunding ecosystem in the next five to 10 years? Crowdfunding ecosystem is probably, well, it's fascinating. Asset. I don't know if you're familiar with like DealMaker, um, but DealMaker is, you are, I, I'm a huge fan. I'm from the outside. I've never worked there or anything, but their tech is just like stunning. Um, they just, I, I think I was even more bullish on them a, a little while ago, but I, I see the crowdfunding industry going away from platforms in general, right? So you don't have to go on a start engine. You don't have to go on a wee fund. You just invest in a deal and you find it and you can probably find that deal on HubToss. The reason why I said I'm slightly less bullish on DealMaker than I once was, like I, I, DealMaker is incredible, is because I do see the value of a community that is forming around Start Engine and that is forming around WeFunder because people don't really feel like they need to invest in 20 different platforms. That totally makes sense, right? So some people are loyal to Start Engine, for example. You might have the owner's bonus. Um, you might have you might have loyalty to the secondary market, right? But I do see equity crowdfunding being more said another way. It's it's interesting. Like when the Jobs Act got passed. And like, this was all just uh, an idea. Everyone probably wondered how this industry was going to go and how it was going to form. Maybe people assume there's going to be some giants. Maybe, I don't know, but there's a, there's a big three, there's other, there's other niche ones. And, and now you have those, um, they're like, uh, I don't know what they call them, like Shopify, like Shopify for capital markets, the deal maker is. Um, I, I see it being more, a business needs money and equity crowdfunding is just a viable option. And there's just more and more good deals that regular people and, even richer people can invest in. Um, and I think right now we're starting to hit an inflection point. This is anecdotal. This is not, um, I don't have data to, to back this up because the reason why I said that the data though is not as valuable five years ago, I think is because there was more, there were less great deals in my opinion versus great marketing pitches. I definitely see investment crowdfunding going away from marketing oriented to research and data oriented. Um, and that will be big winners on hopefully, right? But it, it, right now it's still very marketing oriented. You have a great campaign video, you have a great, and that's, those are awesome. You need, you need a pitch deck, you need assets. But at the end of the day, if you have a good deal and you're a good person and you, you just, those, those are the kind of deals that might be, might be the best investments versus people who spend a lot of money on their raises. Um, companies that spend half their raise on, on marketing to get more raise dollars. I just see more investments being available and quality ones too. So you talked about, um, which I thought was a very interesting point. Uh, VCs tightening their belts and that helping the crowdfunding industry. And I, I actually didn't think about that. But, you know, as the crowdfunding industry continues to grow, which it has considerably since the Jobs Act, um, you know, more it's going to become more mainstream. Uh, I guess maybe in a pessimistic viewpoint, um, what would you say is the biggest constraint holding crowdfunding back? You talked about how the lack of quality companies and that's maybe been a stigma for some people for a little bit of time. So what would you say is a constraint for this industry and uh, today? It might not necessarily be the lack of quality companies. It might've been the lack of quality investments, I would say, right? Like a lot of these companies are really great companies, great people running them. It just, they're just not like, there's, there's might not be a synergy of like, this was good for the investor and it was good for the business. Cause at the end of the day, portals make a lot of money on companies that, that are raising on there. It's like, it's, 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 it's an interesting balance of like, is equity crowdfunding right for the right person and the right company? It's, I think the big challenge from a company standpoint is it's actually quite expensive and it's quite onerous with what you have to disclose. So there's very little um, like 
I personally believe there's very little fraud in, in equity crowdfunding overall, very little because there's so much disclosures. Like if you wanted to commit a crime, you're not going to give a 60 page document to the SEC that lives there forever. You cannot delete those. Right. So like I've seen no some way. things, but like <laughs> it's, it's not like the most optimal way you'd assume. Um, so it's, it's very onerous. It is expensive. I mean, it costs like 15 K on a lot of platforms to, to raise money. Right. So, and then there's fees on top of that variable fees. So if you're just a regular business starting out or, or, or a very seed idea, is that the risk you want to take or do you prefer just getting a 50K check from an angel investor, right? So equity crowdfunding, investment crowdfunding, I think overall has struggled to really tap into that seed round. Um, and then from the investor side, big challenge is just a, a ton of deals. And I think a lot of investors have gotten burned. And this is not anecdotal. Like, well, I guess that is anecdotal actually, but working at, at a portal, right? Like just seeing comment pages. I mean, you know, people don't hold back. And these, these are not professional JP Morgan analysts that have to be on their best behavior when somebody does something wrong, right? They're, uh, they're, they're saying some mean things in the comments when people, when people do oh, things yeah. that they don't want to do, right? So um, it, 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 fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, I might not invest again is kind of part of it. Um, I don't think that's a, 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 a headwind at all towards the industry because there's just so many opportunities, so many deals. Um, but the big obstacles are one perception um, from the investor standpoint of is this company only raising because they're... Uh, you know, because they couldn't get VC funding. And then from the company standpoint, do I really want to disclose all that I'm doing if I'm an early stage company? That's a really like interesting thing. I mean, you have to give up your whole business plan um, and your risks and, you know, 20 pages of risks. And, you know, Star Engine, for example, says how much you get paid. Other portals don't. But that's one reason I think Star Engine has really great, unique investor specific disclosures. Um, as an mm -hmm. investor, I think they have the best disclosures out there, right? So you just have to give up a lot of information. So another thing I've kind of pondered over my time looking over crowdfunding, I've been active now for not too long, but um, is I feel like there is going to be a considerable hurdle to getting a lot of people into crowdfunding. There's so many people that already don't invest in general because it scares them. Um, so what do you think is the market that is untapped for investors? Or maybe a better question is how can crowdfunding as an industry attacked a bigger audience and attract a bigger audience and get more people on board to, to see an asset class that really can be very beneficial for so many people. I think WeFunders lead in the charge on this, in my opinion, with their community rounds. They're leading, they're doing a rebranding effort. Um, they are essentially saying, instead of thinking of this as investment crowdfunding, think of this as you get to invest alongside other VCs. And they highlight Mercury. I mean, they just did, redid their homepage today, actually. They highlighted Mercury, Bank, or Financial. There's, there's a couple other ones that, they, that they've had that they keep highlighting. I mean, Meow Wolf, for example, um, this is way before in the past, but like that was a massive success for, for WeFunder, right? So these, these good companies, um, well, what was the question again? I'm sorry, I missed, I missed the, the exact question, I forgot. So how can crowdfunding become, you know, a more mainstream Mainstream, thing? oh because yes, I, feel, I had a thought yeah. in my mind and, and that's why I got confused. Mainstream, I, I think it already is mainstream to be honest, because, and I, I wouldn't have thought this um, myself, like I have to say, I, I have been, disappointed with the progress of crowdfunding in the past two years since I've really been involved with it. I thought it was going to be like that, you know, and it, it's kind of like that. I mean, it's, but um, it is stunning how many dollars are invested in these deals. And I'll tell you why it's so stunning. I actually pulled up one stat. If I, I share my, I, I don't have to share my screen, Um, but yeah, let me just, this is insane. I'd love right? to hear um, it. So I'm sure you're familiar with this, but it hit, it hit me for real when I actually like went through it. Right. So you think about how much money, let's see, where is it, um, gets invested in these companies, like millions, millions of dollars across all these portals. And you look uh -huh. at the investor limits, like 
what's the average income in 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 America? I'm guessing like 55k across the whole country, something um, like that. Yeah. Yeah. So your 12 month limit is not that much. And and I'm working at Star Engine and I'm seeing. Oh, let me uh, stop sharing my screen. And I'm seeing like you know you see the escrow and there's just investment, 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 just flying flying through, right? Um, yeah. I'm pretty stunned how many actual dollars go through here. Um, I think the interesting question is, unfortunately, more than a minuscule amount of people don't seem to realize exactly what they're getting into with their investment. They might want their money back. They might like they might be like, ah, that wasn't a good idea after all. But there's a lot of progress being made on the secondary markets. Um, Star Engine released a marketplace, for example. Um, Cedars in in Europe has their own marketplace. We can just list. It's not a, it's not a, it's not an ATS. It's not like a, a, a um, what's it called? An alternative trade trading, I think it is. But it's it's a, a secondary market, right? It's an alternative trading for secondary market, or whatever. So it's 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 not real time trades. Um, but there's there, a lot of progress being made in that too. Real time trades in the marketplace. So they're solving that secondary issue to alleviate some of that um, investor friction on that where you want to sell. So I do think that's an interesting point because if you can invest in a company and almost see like the fair market value of the company you invest in per share slowly start to creep up, kind of like the stock market investing in stocks, yeah. I think that would incentivize a lot more people to invest in the companies. And then another point I want to make is I think as the ecosystem continues to grow and grow, the startups are going to realize how valuable uh, data points are, and they're going to start including more and more data, which is then going to make more and more people be willing to invest in those companies because it's kind of like the credibility, right? They can they can track the revenue. They can see the expenses. They see all the disclosures. So it's it's almost taking it from like a, a retail perspective to a almost professional investor mindset perspective. I totally agree with you. I, I think that it's so like I think I think I try to think of myself or I do think of myself. And I try to always be an independent thinker. And I know the ridicule that I get from my good friends that I'm so serious and bought in on this industry. I think it's an awesome industry with so much opportunity in it. They work at banks and they're like, kind of like grow up some ways, you know, like where's the money? And I think there will be. So like, will I be the fool in this or not? Right? Like, I, I think there's so much, I, there are professionals coming into this. I mean, um, the guy who basically wrote the Jobs Act, he was one of three people that wrote it. I wrote a, wrote a piece on him actually, um, it's, it's fun. He's launching a $5 million fund. And I think he has like, I think about like one and a half million already committed uh, for institutional money to invest in equity crowdfunding deals. And he's using a quant thesis, which is, which is fascinating. Right. Um, but, and, and it's, it's, there's a lot like to, to learn from that. Um, his quant thesis, for example, is looking at companies. They're not trying to pick winners, but pick companies that are most likely to get a follow on BC investment. And that really was interesting to me because Technically, that's a validation. I mean, if you had if you raise from equity crowdfunding at twenty million and you got a VC round at forty million, like you are up double the money. And if you can actually pick those correctly, then that's 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 great. Um, so I totally agree. I mean, there are going to be institutions that come in here for sure. And and I saw that happen at um at Star Engine, right? You'd have an accredited investor be like, I got I want to wire hundred k, two hundred k in these companies. The problem with that though is while these portals do, I assume others have these nice incentives for large investor programs where you're a really big time investor, you get a lower fee. It's just easier if you're an accredited investor, just give somebody 100K and then not have to deal with all the other stuff, right? Um, that's kind of the, the the challenge, I think. If you really know a rich person, do you want to go, or that, that wants to invest in you, is it worth the extra onerous costs and legal disclosures? And maybe not for an early company, but for, there are wide combinator companies that are on WeFunder all the time. I mean, there are some really good, 
companies that are, again, the community round, right? That are getting investments from VCs that are opening up a sliver to retail investors because equity crowdfunding, investment crowdfunding is not really about the money as it is the marketing a lot of times. If you're doing investment crowdfunding purely for money, you're probably in trouble. Like there are a couple of companies that get away with that, but like it's not a great generally idea to do it purely for money. But if you do it for marketing too, your consumers are your best, your, the, the investors are the best uh, brand ambassadors. I mean, what, I'm investing in Start Engine and that that's like that's that, that sticks with me. I mean, they're always top of mind when I think about equity crowdfunding, and they have thirty six thousand of these investors, right? WeFunder has their own investors. Um, so, and, and then you think that for a consumer product, I mean, my co-founder um, is is start, going to start a series on um, um, reviewing foods that are doing equity crowdfunding raises, right? So she has a Blackbird Pizza in the fridge, I believe that's the, the company name. So how cool is that? Like you're just like so fascinated by a company that's raising money that you can invest in. You just want to try their pizza. And then maybe tell your friends that you are an investor in it and like you want to get Blackwood pizza. It's the same thing with public stocks. I mean, one of my really dud investments was a Boston beer company and I lost like 50% on that and then gave up. And then they, uh, I always was drinking Trulies, you know, I didn't drink any other, I didn't drink any White Claws. It was only Trulies, you know? So I think you see a lot, <laughs> a lot of that in investment crowdfunding. I'm an, I'm an investor in uh yayo tequila on start engine. Oh, that's uh, yeah, and uh, I, I mean, I drink it all the time. It's fantastic. You know? <laughs> like, not even trying to plug it. I mean, it, but I, like, it, it's the same thing. It, it's kind of cool that you can kind of become a part. Cool. Of, you feel part of the product. Like, you're like, oh, this is Especially this is great. Business companies are not like they're not like like the big corporations like a Microsoft or like something like really out there, right? It's just like it's it's an entrepreneur and maybe a couple other people with a great idea and you love the product and, and why not be a part of it? You know, um, it's exactly. it's like Kickstarter, but you get equity for it. You participate in the upside. It's incredible. So it seems. I've been thinking about this a lot. It seems like a lot of B2C startups that do crowdfunding, the crowdfunding almost serves as like a go-to-market strategy for them to get in there, build awareness, get traction. Because once you see a company, you realize you can invest and it's a startup. It has all this upside, but you can also buy the product and try it out. Yeah. Like, why would you not want to? Yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree with you. That's, 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 that's the future of equity crowdfunding. It's just more and more people realizing that. And then there's also going to be more and more people that are excited about the really serious deals too. Um, it's just, it's just a mix of both. Like there's just, once you, once you experience it, there's really no going back from it. Like if you see another product that you like and you've already done it once, it, and my thought on this is, does it really matter if it's on Star Energy or WeFund or DealMaker or not? I argue no, but then there's an arms race now that I'm seeing of trying to get the best companies on these portals. So we'll see how that plays out. I mean, uh, an example here is Star Energy is paying people 10K to refer founders, right? Um, every other portal has their own referral network. Um, so there's a lot of incentive to a lot of money being handed to people to get the best companies on their own platform just to try to stay competitive. So, Tim, I kind of wanted to uh, transition into a little bit more about you. We've talked a lot about crowdfunding, yeah. which I could talk about all day. But um, you talked a lot about your passion for math. Uh, where, where, where did that start? Or maybe where did your passion for coding start? Well, I think uh, that's a good question. I mean, math, I... I'm not good at math amongst people that are very good at math, right? I was just, I got a good SAT score. I took a few math classes in college and it was just a chill job versus serving burgers or something, right? So like, um, I like to think and stuff, so, but like, I'm not like, you know, coding truly was, you're in an operation, I'm in an operations role. And every time I had a big challenge, you got to give engineering a ticket and a, a, an engineering ticket. And I just kind of wanted to solve my own tickets. And when you're working 70, 80 hours a week, it's just not, I didn't feel like there's a lot of time to put in, learn a skill like that. And it truly did take like all day, every day for months at a time to be able to code at a reasonable level. Um, and for me, that was just like, 
I, I didn't really think about or care about the opportunity cost because I think skills are just like what really matters in this stuff. I mean, you know, it, I'm a little poorer than I would be otherwise if I stayed at a job, but now I feel like I can just do a lot more things and take on a lot more challenges. So coding is essentially just a tool to accomplish challenges. I mean, there's tons of no code tools out there. There's tons of, you know, you can use AI to help you code, right? But there's a lot that still, I, I think that coding is really like the frontier of when I have a problem that can't be solved in Excel or can't be solved with SQL. It's like, what can I do that like is a little bit further than that? So just hit new boundaries, right? So that was just, I just thought it was cool and, and, I, and I like it and, and stick with it. So kind of go off that problem solving thing. Yeah, um, problem solving, what yeah. Do, yeah what, do you, uh, what do you like about being an entrepreneur? Um, well, I really love this, um, because it's so great to work on exactly what I want to be doing, right? That's like a true specialty. I mean, there are a lot of entrepreneurs out there that are, don't probably don't have the exact luxury of working on exactly what they want to be doing, but it's a great business opportunity. And I think I found the mix of it's a great business opportunity and I love doing it. Tutoring is chill for a job. This is like truly, um, like if I could be doing anything reasonably productive during the day, it would be this researching companies and, and, and trying to put together an ecosystem, a platform to make it really easy for myself and others. Um, I think that like it's, I actually loved working for the bosses I've had. Like I've loved working with my coworkers. So I, I miss that the most, like miss the work camaraderie, but I do like just being able to work on what I want to be doing and, and work towards something bigger, um, building something bigger each day. Being an entrepreneur is great because it's generally frowned upon and discouraged in professional workforce. I've learned to be a generalist. And I feel like people like I had, like, if you, if you say you're, a, a, you know, um, the coder, right? CTO is a silly title when you have two people at a company, right? I just do the code and, and get technical, right? But when you say you're doing code, people might not think you're able to do marketing. You, you might not think you're able to do sales. I like it, a lot of things. And we're going to release a music video demo of our product that I wrote a little rap for. And I can't wait to do really? that. Really? That's yeah, awesome. Yeah. And, uh, and my, my co-founder is doing the, uh, the, 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 what's it called? The directing for it, you know, chopping it up and using some AI and we'll see how it goes, but that'll hopefully get clicks. Right. And, and if you're at a 20 person, 30 person company, there's going to be somebody probably a lot or not a little bit, a lot better at you at making videos. Right. But it's really fun to be able to push new boundaries, explore and hit those new creativity standpoint, those, that new creativity, because that I think leverages in ways that are, are not really expected. Um, and, I like being able to tackle on a lot of different things and I consider myself to be like, okay, well, since I'm focused on this one particular thing, it's okay to like do a little bit of generalist stuff around, around the edges, you know? So talking about being a generalist, just from an entrepreneur's perspective, what do you think the biggest lesson you've learned throughout your journey has been being an entrepreneur? I really screwed up the first time I tried to build a startup, like really bad. I mean, I made a lot of money in college and that's the success of like a lot of people, right? Like the metric of success, if you're an entrepreneur, you make a lot of money, that's awesome. And I made a lot, of, I made about 70K, right? And like in, in four years, that was awesome. And it, it wasn't like a year to year comparison. I mean, 70K in college is insane, right? Yeah, that's um, a lot. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and like- Five dollars is a lot in college, right? You can make right. that stretch. Right, my first time out of college was 65K. And I was just like, wait, what is this? What, why would I just keep tutoring full time, you know? Um, but, uh, you know, you know, so it's, it's, um. I forget the I forget the topic I forget the topic I was just I was just laughing at a story I had in my bed I'm, I'm not a um, what was the biggest lesson you've learned throughout your entrepreneurial oh, journey Sorry yeah 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 it's so silly to build for investors and scale too early um, or think about scaling I, I had I, I there's, there's there's just like it was 2021 times were different everyone was just losing money I was just like well if the competitor ahead of me is losing you know a million dollars a quarter and I'm losing like you know 3k a quarter I'm winning and they're just like that's not the right way to think about anything that was just really dumb. Um, 
and and you know, it's just turning a profitable business into something dumb. Um, and you know, the venture route and, and losing money to spend money to gain market share makes a lot of sense, right? For the right company, the right people. The, the, but it's not right for me. It's not right for what we're building. So my lesson is just like keep building. You know, at the end of the day, the cost to hire somebody or the cost to do something that's not yourself is very high. So if you're going to raise like 50k, right? Like honestly, like if somebody was trying to hire me to start up and I was just like oh, 50k, like that's that's cool, but like I don't know, like I I have my opportunity cost. I like to work on my ideas, right? Like there's a limit of there's a, there's a, there's so it's like, what do you need to hire somebody that can actually make an impact versus like kind of make an impact? There's, I think there's, when you're at it, when you're doing something like more from the ground up, there's a lot of like, literally it either gets done or it doesn't. Um, and then as things get bigger, there's more room for redundancy and stuff. So it's, it's just expensive. Like there's scaling responsibly. I want to go to market. I want to get revenue from people that really love the product. Hopefully tell their friends about it. I mean, that's at the end of the day, if, if I get, if we get a thousand users, let's say in a, in a couple of weeks, um, and only like, like, let's say 10 pay, right. That's a win because that's scalable. People like it, enjoy it. That's how the tutoring business started that I like making $15 an hour working for another company. And then next thing I know, I was having to turn down clients. And when I studied abroad in Europe, I was net, I was cash flow positive until I went skiing in Switzerland. Right. Like traveling to like 18 different countries because I'm tutoring in Czech Republic for people that are in like California. Right. So it's just like this, this love of the game, like it just scales, you do it and then, you know, hopefully it works. Right. <laughs> so um, I got a question for you. Uh, <laughs> yeah. This is a question uh, that uh, I was deciding between two questions in my head, but I'm going to go with this one. So um, comes from uh, Roloff Bota. He's uh, at Sequoia Capital. He's a partner. And okay. he says he asked this at every investor meeting. I'm oh, I thought he asked the question for me. I was honored, but it's okay. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> I could have just went with that. I could have just went with that. Uh, no. Uh, the question is, what is the scale of your ambition? What is the scale of Hubtas's ambition? I think that's a great question. I think we are actually reasonably likely to win this industry um, for anybody who's currently in it, right? I think. I think. That is like a big shock. This the barrier to entry in here. There is it is not a winner take all in any way, right? Like even in the public markets, you have your, your you have tons of different research platforms. Even for like debt ratings, you have three different three big ones, right? But the ambition is, I want to be the the go to name in the space for research and private investments that are not targeted for like the really rich people. Um, to be a household name, I, I want I want people in their SEC filings to cite Hubtas for comparables. I want people to, you know, to think about when they make a startup investment to think about Hubtas and, and do the research there first. Um, and that would be a huge win. I mean, if that all happens, the money will follow. My, my big thought with businesses is, is there's a rocket mortgage. Um, they call it an ism, but it's really just a principle. It's like numbers don't, oh, I shouldn't forget one of the guiding principles I have. Um, numbers um, or money, does, it's something like money is not meant to, money is not meant to lead. It follows. I, I botched the, the thought on it, but like, if all those things happen that our ambition hits, I think it's going to be a fantastically successful um, financial venture. So, so that's like all that together is 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 the is the gist of it. So, how is Hubtas going to change the world? Change the world? I mean, that's a lot. That's that's I don't know. If it's change, change the, the world. world of equity crowdfunding. Let's well, let's go. With oh, that. that's a good question. So, the build your own algorithm. That's awesome. I mean, if you're if we we took quant factor investing. For, to, to bring it to startups and regular people. Like if you think of all the different metrics and you give them different weights and you arrive at a certain score and then you get an automated email every day with different scores based on your criteria, that's insane. Like 
Um, to me, that changes everything about crowdfunding, and I can't wait wait for that to be like. Hopefully, that's a really receptive feature. Um, but like, like if that just that to me is like next level. Um, so we'll see if it is for other people too. <laughs> well, Tim, I was gonna ask, what do you think? What book have you read that's most impacted you? That's a question we get a lot that they want to, that the listeners want to know from founders. So what book has most impacted you? Uh, that's a good question. I really liked the simplicity of the psychology of money. Um, oh. that's like, I think a must I'm a big book. fan of that book. It? You read it? I'm a big fan. Yep. Yeah. Everyone's read it. Brendan so gave it to me to read Who too. Did? Yeah. Who did? Brendan gave I, it to yeah, me to read I afterwards. I gave it to Connor. Yeah. Nice, nice. That, it's not a very like uh, cutting edge recommendation, but that's just so simple, easy to read. It's just like I, I think that was great because they had one line that stuck out with me. Um, the only thing you know about like somebody who has a million dollar or a hundred thousand dollar cars, they spend a hundred thousand dollars in the cars. Like a lot of like things that you know but don't really think about, and just kind of for me pushed a lot of independent thinking. Like don't get caught up in like the the hype or don't get caught up in uh, what others around you are doing. Just like stick to your principles, stick to what you think is good, do your research about it. But um, that was kind of the the, the the gist of that. Gosh, I'm trying, I like I like reading psychology, but I don't read as much as I as I should anymore. I read the news, and that's that's uh, I I work all the time. <laughs> it's it's, yeah. it's not a <laughs> the life of an entrepreneur. <laughs> well, not a, it, it took a while to learn code. Now I got to actually keep doing code. You know, so it's like I got to it's it's a lot of a lot of both of that balancing both. <laughs> if you had to give one bullet of practical advice to an entrepreneur, what would it be? Oh, you actually got to enjoy it. Um, if you if you're not having fun with it, it's it's it's. I don't think going into entrepreneurship is a financially wise decision. Generally, um, humbly, I, I I can make a good amount of money at a at a company. I, I and and it's it's opportunity cost and like you know if, if you're doing it for money, you should just be a banker, right? Like it, I think entrepreneurship is about like doing something you really enjoy. Um, and make money off that too because you got to sustain yourself and if you want to if you enjoy it, you got to want to keep doing it and then to keep doing it, you got to make money right so um but if you're not having fun with it what's the point you might as well just get a high paying job and chill i mean there's plenty of nights i just prefer to chill and like i still find time to relax obviously but like you know it's it's it shows us for a reason it's awesome and that's not to say like i'll never get another job again like i like working and then, to be honest hub toss is at a point now where it's really reasonably automated powerful in the back end so it's kind of like, let's see how receptive people are to this. Um, we're going to do some hardcore marketing and, and try to push it because, you know, we're really passionate about it. A lot of people that are using it are very passionate about it. We've got great initial feedback so far, which has been really exciting. Um, and then take it from there. You know, it's, it's not something where we're going to build 10 years if it's not getting that right reception. Um, but I, each step along that way is another hurdle to climb where it's like, okay, validation, keep going, validation, keep going. Um, but on this idea, I have a lot of um, innate, validation of like, this is awesome because I want to keep building this. And my co-founder feels the same way. So when you have both of that and you just keep building, 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 and now we're going to be selling, selling, selling on top of building, it's just, it's just fun. You know, if you, I, I always think like, you know, not to diss like Drizzy as an example, right. But like Drizzy, the food, the alcohol delivery, like who cares if you started an alcohol delivery company, it's not like the coolest thing ever, you know, it's like, it's, it's a money yeah. thing, but like, is that really that fun? Like, I don't know, just work for Uber at that point or whatever. I don't know. Um, th this is kind of like, uh, this is just, this is just pretty awesome stuff. <laughs> well, Tim, I thoroughly enjoyed getting to know you and your company oh, and, yeah. uh, I can't wait to, uh, to see what, what's made of it. And, and thanks for your time. And, uh, I know Connor enjoyed it as well. I don't want to stick to coming on. <laughs> Absolutely. It's so great. I mean, um, 
uh, don't sign up for anything for another one more day before you sign up for those automated alerts. I got to do some fine tuning with the links. I just pushed everything from stage to production. So I'm just doing some, some plumbing, but it, uh, it's, it's going to be great. Awesome. Well, uh, for all our listeners out there, uh, check them out. Hubtoss.com. I got that right, Tim. Yeah, you did. Yeah. And, uh, and, uh, you know, see and what music you can do. Coming like. soon. Oh yes. And check out the music video. And <laughs> when it comes out, we'll push that too. And uh, make sure, yeah. make sure people see, uh, Tim's great rap. So, uh, with that being said, uh, thank you for listening and, uh, we will see you next time. Of course. Uh, we will see you next time on the next big thing podcast.